0: Prince of Peace. We're in this study where we're looking at at the works of Isaiah. We've already talked about Isaiah said he would be called the Wonderful Counselor, and we talked about that. The Almighty God, the All Powerful. And today we're going to take a look at this phrase, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah promised that one was coming who would bring peace into the world. And that's important because we live in a world where peace is elusive, it's hard to find. In fact, a study was done of our own history here in the United States. And if a war occurred at any point in a given year, that year counted as a year of war in the study. They found that over 80% of our history, our country has been at war in one place or another. For us, this country based on liberty and freedom, war and the absence of peace has been the norm. And seasons of refreshing and peace have been hard to come by. And difficult to have and difficult to hold so we find that peace is an elusive thing certainly that's been true throughout history it's been something that's been challenged for all of the world we never seem to be at peace for very long every new year we hope that it will be a new year that's filled with peace And usually at every year, there's some moment where we're disappointed, and the peace in our world or in our country is once again shaken or shattered. Jesus knew that when he said there will always be wars or rumors of wars. Certainly we see lots of war in our world today. It's not much different than it was about 2,000 years ago. When the angels spoke into the world those words they recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. <clears throat> it's interesting the angel said that that night. Because on that night in Bethlehem, there was not much peace. For one thing, the Romans had ordered that everyone had to go back to their home space where they came from, many of whom hadn't been there in a long time, some not since they were born, and it was quite an imposition to have to make this trip back to their home heritage place for this census that Rome had once again decreed. And it really reinforced the Jewish people how frustrating it was to live under the power of someone else who could just say, sorry, folks, you've got to go do this thing. And so in Bethlehem, there, was a lot of, there were many disgruntled people, like people <laughs> getting bossed around once again, taking this silly trip just so they can keep track of us so they can tax us more. And it didn't sit very well with the citizens. So picture a lot of angry and grumpy people taking to the streets and the road. It was crowded. Businesses were crowded. There's probably a reason that Mary and Joseph didn't have a room in Bethlehem, and it had a lot to do with economics. Economics. Just like today, there are often those who take advantage of a crisis. When a hurricane is coming, and they charge an exorbitant amount for gasoline, or or when there's a, a, a snowstorm coming, and people charge an exorbitant amount for hotel rooms, the same thing happened in Bethlehem. People were being taken advantage of by Rome and by their neighbors and by their relatives. It was frustrating. It was, it was a frustrating period. I don't know if there was such a thing as road rage when people rode camels and donkeys. I wonder, right? Could you imagine like how dangerous it would have been to be going to Jerusalem? You're walking or you're in your donkey, and somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know. And you and in your car you say things they never hear you, but in a place without windows they hear every word you say. And I wonder what happens if you say, "Hey, you dirty road hog!" Is that like a, is that one of those fighting words that people jump off their camels and start hitting? You? I wonder what happened. Sorry, I digress. That's just an aside. But what was it like in that world? It was frustrating. It was a place where there wasn't a lot of peace. Isaiah knew this was the world 700 years before that night. When Isaiah said those words, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 8, the way of peace they don't know, and there's no justice in their path. Those words were true in Isaiah's day. They felt true in Bethlehem the night Jesus was to be born. And sadly, in some ways, it still feels true in our world today. So we look at the name that Isaiah promised, the Prince of Peace, and we marvel at that term and we wonder about it. So as we think about this idea of a Prince of Peace in a world that rarely has it, let's just break it into two parts. Let's start with that first part, Prince. You should know that this term, prince of peace, comes from two Hebrew words, sar shalom. Sar shalom. That first word for prince is the word sar. In Hebrew, the word sar actually means uh, not, just like, uh, uh, not just like a prince who's a son of a king, but a person who's the head man, the person who's in charge, the go-to guy. It's been said of princes in the Hebrew world of that day that, that often the king sat in the palace and issued decrees and did his things that the prince would be among the people. You'll remember that this was true in the story of David and Absalom. David was in the palace, but his son Absalom sat at the gate with the people, and because he was with the people so much, he was able to, to supplant and take away David's throne eventually, at least for a time. He was with the people. This idea of a prince has, in part, this idea of being with the people, being the head person, the person everyone looks to. It might surprise you to know that the Romans borrowed this word sar, the part of sar shalom, for their own usages. And the Romans added another word to it, see sar, the ultimate man in charge. That's what they called that word sar, or prince, So it's a word that has this idea of of being the supreme ruler of royalty. We talk sometimes about when people come to this country from other places like England where there are kings and queens and princes and princesses, and they come here and they get treated, well, they get the royal treatment, don't they? People want to know where they ate dinner, what they do, what life's like for them. I mean, I don't know if you watched those weddings not long ago, right, of the of the prince being married and, and to uh, all those things, right? So, so people think of that and it's somehow important. But do we think of Jesus as royalty? We should. We should. Because he's, he is uh, uh, one who will be worshipped as royalty. In fact, we know that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Jesus is indeed a prince. He rules from a throne on high, and he has a great amount of power at his command. The government is on his shoulders. There is no higher government than his. His word is above every other word. His law above every other law. Everything in creation will bow down to him. He has a kingdom, a kingdom of unlimited wealth and power and glory. He is sovereign. There is no match for his power. There is no competition for him. He is in complete control. Jesus is the prince, the Tsar. Shalom. But let's look at that second word, peace. We wonder, can we ever really have peace, or is peace just a dream? something that we celebrate in the Christmas season and we hope for in the new year. Most of us think of peace as the absence of conflict. We think of of peace as as things kind of breaking our way and not breaking against us. But in Scripture, peace has more to do with an inner peace, a, a peace that has to do with how we relate to other people around us, and peace with God. Biblical peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of love and generosity, grace and the transforming a part of God's mercy in our lives, in our world, in our relationships. It's a frame of mind that we have when we are right with God. Of course, peace is also a gift. The Bible describes it as one of the fruits of the Spirit for those who trust God. But peace is not found in the world, not a lasting peace. In fact, there was another study done that suggested that in the last 3,500 years, over 8,000 peace treaties have been signed. Over 8,000 peace treaties have been signed. And today, nearly every single one of those peace treaties was broken. Peace is elusive. It's not new to us. The idea that we need to have peace, but we have a hard time finding it, has been a part, as I said earlier, of our nation's heritage and of our world. Back in 1863, there was a 17-year-old boy, a native of Cambridge, Massachusetts. One night, in the middle of the night, he stole away from his home on Brattle Street. He hopped a train... He headed for Washington, D.C., where he joined Abraham Lincoln's army in the Civil War. His name was Charles Appleton Longfellow. His father was the famous poet and literary scholar Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. On November 27th, as part of the Mine Run campaign, while in a skirmish during the Battle of New Hope Church in Virginia... Charlie was shot through the shoulder, his left shoulder. He was narrowly able to escape being paralyzed. In fact, the bullet came within just an inch of his spine. On December 1st, 1863, word was received at the Longfellow home in Cambridge of Charles' serious injury. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and his younger son, Ernest, left at once for Washington, D.C., they finally met up with Charlie and they brought him back home in hopes he would heal from his wounds. They reached Cambridge on December the 8th, and Charles Appleton Longfellow began the slow and tedious process of recovering. His wounds took considerable time to heal from. In fact, over a month after returning home, he still needed help getting dressed, and his father attended to him daily his needs. One night, as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sat nursing his son and giving thanks for his survival, he picked up his pen and paper and began to write these words. They are familiar words to those who have sung the Christmas bells song. Some of the verses are in that hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Here's the poem that Longfellow wrote. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the whole the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Wadsworth ends his poem with a positive realization that the only way to peace is through Jesus. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God in the midst of our struggles. And we can know that peace. But knowing that peace doesn't come necessarily through a victory we win as much as it comes through a surrender. The things that you struggle with must be surrendered to the Prince of Peace. It's a moment when we say to him, I can't fix this. I don't want to live like this. This isn't the world I want to be a part of. Help me. Help me. When we surrender to him, he fills us with his peace. He gives us those encouraging words Take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. God gives us a peace treaty signed with the blood of Jesus Christ. I like the words it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and following. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one. Who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Verse 17 says, He came, He preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. You know, it wasn't easy for God to send His Son to a world that was going to mistreat Him so badly, but as we read in John 3, 16, it was because of His love, God sent Jesus to us. I thought a lot about the peace that he has to offer, because I had anything but a peaceful week. I don't know what your week was like last week. Mine was not the most peaceful. It was challenging. It was challenging. Reading Isaiah this past week and thinking of the sermon, I, I took a note of some of the gifts that we get through the Messiah, that is, through Jesus, that Isaiah shared. Isaiah said in Isaiah 14, verse 27, these words, that the Lord God Almighty has purposed things. Who can thwart his purposes? And I was reminded he gives us the gift of direction and purpose. Isaiah would go on to say, in, 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 the, in the writing of Isaiah thirty-three sixteen, he will supply their bread and their water, and he will not fail them. He provides for us, and we can have the peace that comes through his provision. I read those words that he says in Isaiah forty-one ten: Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I'll, I am the Lord your God. He gives us the gift of his presence this holiday season. Of course, we've already celebrated a communion, but we're also reminded that Isaiah understood even 700 years before Jesus. In Isaiah 55 7, he said, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, to our God, for he will freely pardon with the gift of his pardon this Christmas. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, of this gift he gives to us, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Receive the gift of peace from the Prince of Peace. And there's one more thing that that Jesus talked about, it really meant a lot to me this week. Last week, I, I told you grandma had had a surgery on her hip, and she had fallen and broken it, and that the surgery had gone well. And I shared how the after the surgery, she was sitting up and eating chicken and potatoes, and I marveled. I even said to you, I think she'd outlive us all. But sadly, she didn't. And if you haven't heard that, this week, just a couple of days later, She passed. And those words from Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus spoke mean a lot to me this week. Words where Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I was thankful for the rest they gave to my grandmother. I've told you many stories about that woman, (laughs) one of the five most influential people in my entire life, no question about it. I told you about how she used to read stories to me when I was a boy from the Bible, and she did read them, and shaped my life by the Bible stories she would read to us at night. At her funeral yesterday, my mother and my uncle both talked about how growing up they had received, Grandma had bought one of those big, huge picture Bibles back when they were children. I mean, it's enormous, right? You have to be a weightlifter to lift that Bible, And when they got that Bible, that my grandma and my grandfather had kind of made a pledge or a promise they would read the Bible to their kids every night. And from that moment on, they did. And when I would go to her house, she would read it to us. She gave me so many, many great gifts from God's Word. But I had one chance last Sunday night to be with her while she was still alive, even though she wasn't able to be cognizant with me anymore. She was just sleeping. And it was just me and her in her room. So I had one last chance to open my Bible and start reading to her. Which I'd never done that before, not like that. Just to sit by her, hold her hand, and read God's word. Kind of perfect way to finish my time with my grandma. <laughs> and then she went home into her rest, at peace with her maker. Now, I recognize we don't all get 96 years. In fact, a lot of us don't get near what we would hope to get. But we can have the same assurance and peace that she had and others have had if we've accepted our opportunity and invitation to live under the prince of peace, to make him our boss, our Lord, our master, our savior. If we do that, he promises he won't leave us no matter what we face. He won't forsake us. In fact, he said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of this age. What a gift this Christmas. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will make that decision today, the most important decision you'll ever make, as we stand and we sing our hymn of (laughs) invitation.